Hello and welcome to the iFormerX podcast. This is Stuart Haynes, and I get to pick the brains of lots of really smart people exploring the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. And we've had a number of commentaries over the past few years written about the use of the SGLT2 inhibitors for the treatment of heart failure. And that data is certainly impressive, but another class of medication that is recommended in nearly all patients with heart failure is an angiotensin receptor naprilosin inhibitor, or more affectionately known as an ARNI. Currently, there is only one ARNI product available on the market, and that's in Tresto, which is a combination of Secubitril and Valsartan. And for those of you who work in heart failure clinics or on a transitions of care team, this probably is one of the key medications that you recommend initiating because although it is recommended and there's strong evidence to support its use, it's woefully underused in practice and lots of patients who are eligible for ARNI therapy are simply not receiving it. So pharmacists have an important role to play by ensuring that every patient with heart failure is receiving appropriate treatment, including an ARNI and other guideline recommended therapies. And here today to talk about the Secubitril Valsartan top 10 list are Jessica Wooster, Elizabeth Yett, and Dustin Clark. Dr. Wooster and Dr. Yett wrote a commentary for iFormerX entitled, The Top 10 Things Every Clinician Should Know About Secubitril Valsartan, which is the latest in our series of Top 10 Things Every Clinician Should Know series. Elizabeth and Jessica are both ambulatory care pharmacists practicing at Tyler Cardiovascular Consultants, and they are on faculty at the Ben and Mady Fish School of Pharmacy at the University of Texas at Tyler. And Dr. DJ Clark is a clinical pharmacy specialist for the Providence Medical Group, but in their Medford and Ashland, Oregon centers. DJ was one of the peer reviewers for the commentary and graciously agreed to participate in today's discussion. So Jessica, Elizabeth, and DJ, it's great to have you all on the iFormerX podcast today. Welcome. Thanks for having me again, Stuart. Excited to be here. Thank you so much, Stuart. Happy to be here. So in the commentary you wrote, Jessica and Elizabeth, you describe a number of issues that every clinician should be mindful of when initiating and using the ARNI, Secubitril Valsartan. But I'm wondering if we can start today's discussion by setting some context. As I stated in the introductions, ARNI therapy is not only guideline recommended, but it's actually a cornerstone of therapy for most patients with heart failure. Why? All right, I'll get things started. So really the clinical evidence first supported the use of Entresto in patients with HEFREF, um, which you'll hear us use that abbreviation of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction patients. So the very first trial that we heard about uh, that demonstrated some benefits was the Paradigm HF trial. So patients there on Secubitril Valsartan had a 20% relative risk reduction from cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations in patients that had HEFREF when compared with enalapril, an ACE inhibitor. So um, just to kind of give you a background of what these patients were like in Paradigm HF, they were at least 18 years old. They had New York Heart Association class two, three, or four symptoms, and they had an ejection fraction of 35% or less. 
So also these patients were required to be on a stable dose of a beta blocker and an ACE inhibitor or an ARB equivalent to at least 10 milligrams of an allopril that they were taking daily. So beside those patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, sacubitril valsartan has also demonstrated benefit in heart failure with preserved ejection fraction 2, or HEF-PEF. And so based on the results of the Paramount trial, patients on sacubitril valsartan did show about a 23% reduction in that primary endpoint, which was NT-proBNP reduction. And this was in patients with New York Heart Association classes 2 through 4, and this was compared to patients on valsartan alone. And so the results of this study showed that sacubitril valsartan in combination did provide favorable biomarker and cardiac remodeling effects. And so overall, they helped improve the long-term outcomes of patients with HEF-PEF. Since the primary outcome was related to NT-proBNP, patients did need to have an NT-proBNP level greater than 400 at screening, while also being on diuretic therapy and having a systolic blood pressure less than 140. And although it wasn't a primary endpoint, a subgroup analysis did show that there is a 22% relative risk reduction in total heart failure hospitalizations and death from cardiovascular causes, and that was when compared to patients on Valsartan alone. So if you also have trouble keeping track of some of these trials, we do have a pretty good summary of some of the multiple clinical trials that have been done with sacubitril valsartan, and this shows its positive outcomes in both heart failure with reduced and preserved ejection fraction. And you can find that in our top 10 things for clinicians to know commentary. So I, I know each of you work in interprofessional teams and routinely provide care to patients with heart failure. My observation has been that ARNI therapy is underutilized in practice, and, and it's a bit unclear to me as to why. What are some of the most common reasons uh, you've heard or seen in practice? Yeah, thank you. I may have a unique perspective here as the only uh, primary care practitioner here. Um, it, it may be a little different in the cardiology clinics, but I think a lot of the reason that patients aren't started on Entresto is due to coverage criteria and what I call patients getting lost in the shuffle. For a lot of patients that I see, it's in a requirement that it comes from a cardiologist to actually approve the medication. Another thing that can happen is that a lot of patients that are appropriate to start therapy are referred to cardiology, and at that initial visit after something like a hospitalization, there's a, quite a few factors going on. There's a lot of medications being titrated, adjusted, and if the medication's not started at that visit, it can really vary how quickly they're followed up on. And even more so, the the biggest reason I see that Entresto is not started is I don't think, especially in the primary care setting, our thinking has switched. Um, and I think Entresto is often seen as an add-on if still symptomatic agent rather than an agent with superiority evidence versus an ACE inhibitor. And I think from our perspective, what we've seen, most patients will probably stop therapy because of affordability issues. So we do provide our patients with a 30-day free copay card at the initial prescribing of sacubitril valsartan, and that's really in the hopes of being able to complete any prior authorization or patient assistance program paperwork that will be necessary to help them get their medication at an affordable cost. Additionally, every year, the prior authorization or patient assistance paperwork does need to be renewed. And so some patients can kind of get left behind at this time if we're not able to kind of catch that at the one-year mark. 
We've also noticed from the inpatient setting, sometimes our providers in that setting won't always start patients on Entresto since it's a brand name medication, or if the patient is already on an ACE or an ARB, they won't necessarily change to Entresto. They'll probably leave that for their outpatient treatment follow-up. Another important reason some patients might stop taking sacubitril valsartan is because they might develop hypotension. And so at that point, I think the provider and maybe the patient themselves just assumes it's probably better to just go ahead and switch back to whatever the patient was on before, instead of realizing that we can titrate more appropriately and hopefully be able to, to keep the patient on this medication. And the last thing we've noticed is sometimes when patients go and see their primary care physician or other providers who might be more unfamiliar with this medication, they might not be aware of the guidelines that let us know that it is preferred over an ACE or ARB, so they might inappropriately discontinue it, or a patient might still be on an ACE or an ARB, and so they'll just keep the patient on that. Sometimes patients might be found on both an ACE or an ARB and Entresto, which would be an inappropriate. And so sometimes that happens if a poor medication history is done or if someone is not able to, to take note of the fact that patients should not be on both an ACE or an ARB and Entresto. So many patients, of course, are, are taking an ACE or an ARB as part of their heart failure treatment cocktail. And while an ARNI is clearly indicated, I think some clinicians are not well informed about how to transition therapy over to subcubitril varosartan. So Jessica, can you give us the lowdown? How, how should treatment be transitioned from an ACE or an ARB to an ARNI? And does the patient have to be stable? Or is this something that can be done when the patient is acutely symptomatic and perhaps in the hospital? So First, I'll talk about, you know, in the clinic setting when a patient comes in for a follow-up appointment, whether it's a post-discharge follow-up appointment or just, you know, a three-month, six-month or annual appointment for their heart failure. So if they come in and they're on an ACE inhibitor, the washout period is actually 36 hours. So importantly, you want to ask the patient, you know, when did you take your last dose? Uh, and then you can help them figure out when that 36-hour time or close to that. You can always jump to 48 hours if need be. Uh, but we try to stick to that 36 if we can. Um, and so we can write it out for them, um, put it on their medication chart and make sure that they fully understand, you know, don't take that next dose of your ACE inhibitor. And this is when you're going to start that first dose um, of Entresto or this ARNI. Um, for an ARB, you know, Valsartan is part of Secubitril Valsartan. So um, when you're going from an ARB uh, to another ARB uh, per se, or an ARB to an ARNI, uh, more correctly, they really can just take it that next dose. So say they took their, you know, Valsartan or Losartan that morning, we can tell them, okay, well, starting tomorrow morning, you want to take this uh, Secubitril Valsartan. Um, but it is important for them to know that um, Arnie's are twice daily. So we want them to understand, you know, morning and night um, and help them figure out how they can incorporate that based on what other medications they're taking. And we want them to succeed, and we want them to succeed on each dose of the three doses, because really we want to try to up-titrate them to the highest dose, uh, the 97-103 milligram, which is what the, the evidence supports for the best outcomes if we can get them to that high dose. So we want to talk to them about monitoring, such as their blood pressure. That's probably our number one rate limiting step of that up titration is patients um, having symptoms of low blood pressure and having low blood pressure numbers. So that's something that we can, you know, help kind of anticipate and go ahead and set up a follow-up phone call and appointment so we can help them succeed and up titrate efficiently. So um, now 
Um, do patients have to be stable? Or what about when a patient is acutely symptomatic? So, um, for example, when patients may be hospitalized with HEF-REF um, and may be symptomatic, fluid overloaded, really we want to make sure that they are stable. So what does that mean? Before we start an ARNI, they want to be stable. So if they're in the inpatient setting, we mean um, the patient can be inpatient and hospitalized. They can still be on IV diuretics and, and still undergoing diuresis, but we want it to be a stable IV diuretic dose. So we're actively diuresing them. However, we're not trying to, uh, you know, up titrate or anything like that, but it is okay that they're still on IV diuretics. Also, we want to make sure that the systolic blood pressure is greater than 100 millimeters of mercury. And also, more importantly, they're not having any symptoms of hypotension. So no dizziness, lightheadedness, especially when sitting or lying for prolonged periods of time. Um, and also, we want to make sure they're not on any IV vasodilators. So really, I think there's a misunderstanding out there as far as a patient being stable before we can start them. And oftentimes, inpatient providers may kind of turf it and say, oh, we'll just wait until they're you know, discharged. And then maybe their outpatient cardiologist or primary care can start it in the outpatient setting when they're more stable. Uh, but really, we need to be promoting the inpatient initiation of these patients, not just the continuation for patients that are already on Entresto, because there is evidence that supports better outcomes on morbidity and mortality with that early initiation in the inpatient setting. So DJ, I know Entresto isn't cheap and, and both insurers and health systems want to exercise some reasonable control over its utilization. And, and of course, cost can be a very significant barrier to some patients as well, depending on their health plan benefits and their personal resources. From a payer's perspective, is Arnie therapy cost-effective? Is it really worth the investment? And from a patient's perspective, what programs and tools are available to make treatment more affordable? Yeah, to, to address the question about the cost-effectiveness of Entresto, I'd like to just briefly revisit some of the data that was presented earlier. From my math, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I got a number needed to treat of 22 from the Paradigm trial for hospitalizations or death from cardiovascular causes. The medication can be expensive, but it's not a trivial benefit that it provides even over an ACE inhibitor. And I would argue that it is cost-effective and worthwhile, especially in HEF-REF. To combat some of the cost issues, there's a really great 30-day free trial that's available to any patients when you're starting the medication. And this has been really useful in my practice because it gives us time to start therapy while working on a solution for coverage. Now, when we're looking to get more long-term coverage for patients with commercial insurance, copay cards have been really effective for me. So these are cards that you can just download online, available to anyone who has commercial insurance coverage. Now, this often requires consultation with the cardiology team to get the medication covered, but I found that really effective. For patients with Medicare, it can be more difficult. Um, you, you don't get manufacturer copay cards, but there is actually a manufacturer assistance program. It's a much longer application process, but Providence luckily has a team of people that help with applying for this. Um, in the case of Entresto, it's the Novartis Patient Assistance Foundation. Now, the only patients I have a really hard time getting on the medication are Medicare patients with high income who unfortunately wouldn't qualify for any type of assistance. And those are the cases that I'm still working on a good solution for. 
I'm jealous to hear that DJ has a whole team working on their patient assistance programs. Oftentimes, the team at our clinic is myself and Jessica and our pharmacy students. So one thing that we found really beneficial is meeting with the pharmaceutical representatives for this medication. And so that's been insightful into giving us some maybe tips to help us through the somewhat difficult prior authorization or patient assistance program process. Sometimes appeals are necessary if a prior authorization is rejected or even if a patient assistance program application is rejected. Since this medication has been out for some time now, it hopefully should be on most insurance formularies, which makes it hopefully, again, fairly affordable with commercial insurance patients. But again, I think this brings up the important point that we need to continue to educate on the really the essential fact that this medication should probably be covered at the same tier as an ACER and ARB since it does provide that additional benefit and according to the guidelines is even recommended over an ACE or ARB. Yeah, I think that's one of the things right now that it really troubles me is that most commercial insurers are not treating this as an essential medication that should be at a low copay. Because I do think, for the health system at least, it's a cost savings. So we're keeping most of these patients out of the hospital with a significant reduction on that over other medications that may be cheaper, but still. Well, I have one final question for you all. Before we wrap up today, I'd like to end our episode talking about some practical ways that pharmacists can identify patients who are appropriate candidates for ARNI therapy and ways they can facilitate treatment initiation. Uh, What are some of the ways that you've personally been involved? First of all, it's really important for us to be making recommendations based on the guidelines um, in these populations. So most recently, just hot off the press, the ACC AHA heart failure guidelines for 2022 um, are out. So if you haven't looked over them yet, um, go grab them and look at them um, if you want to nerd out and you love cardiology like we do. This update also reiterates the preferential use of an ARNI um, in patients with HEFREF. So this is a class one recommendation, and that's really important when you're making recommendations to cardiologists, physicians, residents, you name it. So then from there, we want to talk about how we can initiate it, make sure we're initiating it at the most appropriate dose, and we're doing the washout period if need be, depending on if they were on an ACE versus an ARB. And then also we want to successfully titrate them. So step one, make that recommendation so we can initiate it and do it correctly. Step two, we want to up titrate them to the highest tolerable dose. So not every patient will be able to make it to the highest dose, but we want to help them by giving them education on how they can monitor it and how they can succeed, um, hopefully on that top dose of the 97 103. We don't want our patients to be initiated on Entresto and then be stuck at that lowest dose um, just, you know, for for a long period of time, especially if we've got that blood pressure wiggle room like a lot of our patients do. The other thing I would like to mention is this is a great service that you can offer and also maybe develop a collaborative practice agreement with physicians to do, which Entresto initiation and or titration service for clinical pharmacy um, or clinical pharmacist if there's only one of you. Another strategy I've found useful from the primary care perspective is being involved in transitions of care. Um, most of my patients that I follow and actually manage in Tresto were identified through a PharmD post-hospitalization review. We have a lot of patients that they're actually always referred to cardiology after a heart failure hospitalization, but having a pharmacist's eyes on that discharge med list right away has been actually most of my opportunities to initiate the medication. 
And then just a second was previously said, if you're not directly referred to manage heart failure and Tresto, being comprehensive in your approach can help identify candidates. Um, I'm very often referred for hypertension management and end up adjusting a lot of the quote unquote heart failure medications uh, because they really go hand in hand. And then the last thing I found really effective is being able to offer close follow-up. Luckily, I'm in a position where I could see a patient every week if needed, um, and that's something that's really unique, and to have a clinician with the ability to adjust this medication and do it appropriately with that kind of follow-up, I've found to be really beneficial in getting patients on Entresto and actually keeping them on the medication at the optimal dose. I agree with DJ. I definitely think we all could benefit from close follow-up, especially from some really comprehensive-minded ambulatory care pharmacists. Some electronic health records do let you run reports to identify gaps in care. So for example, we use the EPIC system in our clinic, and we can run certain reports under the slicer dicer feature to see patients who have HEFREF or HEFPEF if they're on an ACERNARB currently. And we can run that report and identify patients who could maybe benefit from being scheduled a visit with a pharmacist to either initiate therapy with Entresto or at least to see if a patient is an appropriate candidate for Entresto, which, as we've mentioned so far in this podcast, most, if not all, patients are. And so from that point, we can also run reports to titrate the Entresto dosing if a patient might be stagnant at a lower dose, because as Jessica mentioned, we do have those best outcomes at the 97-103 milligram dose. And just to wrap things up, to recall, Sacubitril Valsartan does improve clinical markers for patients. It reduces their visits to the emergency department and overall hospitalizations. And I think most importantly, our patients feel better with improvements in their quality of life and symptom management. Well, DJ, Elizabeth, Jessica, thank you so much for being on our show today and sharing your experiences working with patients with heart failure. Arnie therapy is a treatment that's considered the standard of care, but unfortunately, many patients aren't receiving it today. What are some of the ways that you've been involved and increased the percentage of your patients in your practice who are receiving Arnie therapy? Tell us. Remember, only iFormerX members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website. Any health professional or health professional student can join iFormerX. It's free, so sign up today. And finally, I want to have a big shout out to the American Pharmacists Association for partnering with iFormerX over the past three years to make our content available for board recertification credit to board certified ambulatory care pharmacists and for helping us to reach new audiences. I've been a member for APHA since I was a student pharmacist and have regularly attended their annual meeting ever since. APHA is leading a coalition of pharmacy organizations to expand the scope of practice for pharmacists. And these efforts will have a direct positive impact on pharmacists working in community and ambulatory care settings. And a special thank you to Dan Zlot, the Senior Vice President of Education and Business Development at APHA, for supporting our work and being a champion for board certification. We simply could not be able to do this work without the support of the American Pharmacists Association, for which I am truly, truly grateful. Well, this is Stuart Haynes, Editor-in-Chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be well, my friends. Mm-hmm.